Hello, hello, hello. Good evening, everyone. God bless you, my saints, my friends, my Bible study crew. Bible study live, our last service before we go on sabbatical. So it's always good to see you guys. Let's uh, bow our heads and let's go before the Lord in prayer. I seen that Kevin Bifford had a prayer request, and we're going to make sure we add that into our prayer. So let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you for all that you are, all that you mean. Thank you for being there for us and being the God that we serve and we love. And so we do thank you and appreciate you. We ask that you illuminate the study, that you would strengthen us. Thank you that revelation knowledge will flow freely, unhindered, unchecked, and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces. God, we have a special request up before you with our brother, uh, Kevin. And God, we ask that, that they would make a decision that's favorable in Kevin's favor. God, let the uh, the favor of God just rest. And, and as they're making their decisions, help us to give us a good decision. And God, if for some reason they don't give the decision, that we want, then we know that you've got something better for him, but make a way for your brother and we thank you for it. And God, we ask that you would do that for all of us in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Blessings, blessings, blessings. So uh, last Sunday, we we were blessed to have Pastor uh, Josh with us. And uh, before I get in that, I do have a a helper with me today and I want to have them a wave at you. There's there's my little helper down in the corner. She is uh, commenting for us, so we appreciate uh, little Alana, better known as Bonbon, helping us out today. So we were uh, going to talk about uh, what Pastor Josh uh, mentioned on Sunday. It was good to uh, sit back and rest and have someone else minister. And it, it was something that I needed personally, but we're going to try to go over it. So let's look at uh, this Pastor Josh Hollowell from City Hope, the same guy that that we did the joint service with, and hungering for intimacy was uh, the title, and uh, that was the framework that he was working on, hungering for intimacy. And he started off by telling us a story about when they planted the church, when they moved in to Muncie, and how that. Uh, the house that was next door to them was abandoned. They they begin to rework that house and, and try to rebuild it to become a landlord and hopefully a godly landlord is something he mentioned. Uh, I guess seeing some of the other landlords around this area specifically, they were very, uh, not very good landlords. And that's, that's an issue all across the country. And so sometimes it's good for us to be in positions to own property so that we can change things and be positive landlord. So that was something he was working on doing. But to make a long story short, that there was on the side of the houses uh, a stairway that was quite uh, useful in getting many things to it. But as they begin to tear down the house, they realized that that stairway uh, was never rooted and grounded into the soil. It was only just sitting on the surface. So really it was a disaster waiting to happen at any moment. Uh, someone could uh fallen, that thing could have broken, someone could have tumbled to their death. It was just really bad. And so he made the point that the stairs, the bottom of the stairs, even though it was connected to the house at the top, the bottom of the stairs had no depth because it was just sitting on the surface. It was not grounded into the ground. And it was from that framework that he began to minister to us. And he's talking about us having what we call a deep intimate relationship with God and not being 
surface Christians. And that that speaks to me because that has been, I would say, the cry of my heart as Deliverance Temple. And that's why the first part of our vision statement is we connect with our creator continually because we actually want to have a deep, lasting relationship with God. We don't want this just to be a routine, just something we do, a habit. And the reason why is because we are like stairs in the sense that people can connect to God through us. We, we are, uh, we're selfish when it comes to our individual salvation, but we're not selfish when it comes to sharing the gospel and discipling others, knowing that God often wants to use us to connect to others. So if we have stairs that are surface and not deep and not grounded, then what happens is we really are not bringing people to deep relationship with God. We're bringing them to something that's unstable. And too often, there's been so much instability in the body of Christ because people, instead of having deep relationship with God, they have deep uh, relationships with uh, religion, denomination, opinions, and those things are surface and they're not the depth that we're trying to get, get people to grow to. Number one, we want to grow to ourselves and we want to see other people grow to it. So hungering for intimacy is something that we need to hunger for. So the first thing he did is take us to this passage of scripture and we'll try to read through it. Exodus 33, one through six, the first verse, the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. Verse six. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. So there's a lot going on in that passage of scripture. The first thing we have to to know is that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and began to get into their journey, the scripture says that they spoiled the Egyptians in the sense that all the women, all the Israelite women were told on the way out to ask the Egyptians uh, to give them things. They began to basically just ask them. It, it was one of the first times we see what we call a wealth transfer that happened. So what was going on with after the firstborn of the uh, Egyptians had died, they were just ready to get rid of the Israelites. Pharaoh had been stubborn, but so much stuff had happened in Egypt that the Egyptians, they didn't care so much what Pharaoh thought anymore. It was like, look, get out of here, get away from us. And they were even willing to give things to them. So the Israelites were slaves, and then all of a sudden they have wealth, a wealth transfer. They have jewelry, they have fine clothes, things that they didn't have before. So as they were leaving Egypt, they left with blessings. But 
the moment they got to the Red Sea, they started to complain, saying, why did you bring us out here to die? So we see that they were a stubborn people. But the point that Josh was making that I thought was so powerful is that they were going, they were leaving out of bondage. They were heading into the promised land and they had all this wealth with them, which seems like they should be extremely happy. But God made a statement to him. He said, because you're so stubborn, I'm not going to go with you. And it was something that we see in the Israelites because we, we, we often talk negatively about them, the children of Israel, because there were so much things that happened. But this is positive in the sense that they said, we were, we'll, we'll get rid of the jewelry and the clothes because we don't want to celebrate if God's presence is not here. And this is something that happens the longer you've been in bondage, the more you are hungering for the presence of God. So having the promise without the presence doesn't appeal to you because of the bondage you've been in. When you've been been in bondage for so long, you want God's presence. And so once they realized that God said, I'm not going with you, it was beautiful to see that they were saying, listen, we don't we don't care about the wealth. We don't care about the blessings. We don't care about the promise if we don't have the presence. And as a person and a pastor who does try to push us to believe for greater, to believe for blessings, this is such an important point for us to always rest on. If God isn't going to go with us, if his spirit isn't going to be with us, if his presence isn't going to lead us and guide us, the blessings mean nothing. The jewelry means nothing. The clothes mean nothing. The house, the car, all of those things pale in comparison to the presence of God. And since we are deliverance temple, we're coming from spaces where we need deliverance. And we have some deliverance. We probably need more deliverance. And so we begin to understand that God's presence is premier to us. It's so important because without his presence, we are nothing. That's the good part about what the Israelites understood. The bad part is the reason why God said, I'm not going with you is because you're so stubborn. So here's something for us to also understand. I hope it's not my fault that the presence of God doesn't want to go with me. So I need God's presence. I desire God's presence. But I hope I'm not the major reason why his presence doesn't go with me because I'm so stubborn. And that's what we, we see. So let's, let's go back just for a second. I want to go back to, uh, first of all, so at, at the bottom of this, it says, if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. And and what that means is God's presence would have, it, it can't stand against pride. So when God said, I'm not going to go with you, he was trying to protect them because he said, my, the power of who I am cannot exist with pride and stubbornness and rebellion. So there's going to be a clash and you're going to lose that clash basically is what he was saying. So he said, I'm going to remove my presence really to preserve you. Same, same thing happened with, the, with Adam and Eve when he banned them from uh, going into the garden. He exiled them and told them they couldn't come back. It seemed like he was just mad and punishing them, but he was actually protecting them. 
because the moment they turned towards sin, God's holiness would have annihilated them. So he put a chasm between him and them. And there was angels guarding the, the garden saying, you can't come back because if you come back, I will destroy you. That's why we must be so grateful for Jesus. The only reason why we can be in God's presence is through the agency of Jesus and the death of Jesus and through the cross and the blood because uh, sin stinks in God's nostrils and he cannot, as holy as he is, he cannot function with sinful people. He would actually crush them. He would annihilate them. His wrath would destroy. So he's always tried to figure out ways to not make that happen. This is the same thing that was going on here. So the point I want to make is in verse 4, when the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. They stopped doing that. But what I want to look at is in verse 5, for the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Then it says, remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. What I think that is interesting in, in that statement is they had already decided that they were going to remove their fine clothes and jewelry. God said the same thing to them later, because of your stubbornness, I, I need you to do this. So so what, what I, the point I want to make, and uh, I can't remember if Josh brought this out or not, but the point I want to make is that oftentimes the God in us begins to do things when it comes to repentance that God would have required anyway. So God was told them, look, you need to take off your fine uh, clothes and, and jewelry. And the Israelites said that that's what we want to do. So there's a portion of us that wants to do what is required of us, but we need God's help to do it. So even though the Israelites had a lot of issues, there was still a lot of God in them. And that's why you see how God kept going out of his way to try to preserve them, help them, protect them, punish, correct them, because at the end of the day, they were his people. They had God in them. They, they may had some issues, but they had God in them. And I need to say the same thing to you. One of the reasons why we want to protect the presence of God is because we have God in us. We are important to the work of God. We are important to the purpose of God, the plan of God. And if we fail and fold and give up and quit, then the world around us, they're going to have trouble. So we've got to understand the importance of who we are. We have to be willing to repent. We have to be willing to walk according to the things of God. We have to be willing to lay down our pride, not just so we can be better people, but because we are important to the work of God. God loses when we lose because he chooses to use us. Now, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. So when we mess up and we uh, walk in stubbornness and pride, it hurts the plans of God. So we don't want to be that way. So while we see that the children of Israel were negative in many ways, we're starting to see some of the positives that they had. All right, let's see if we can move further. He goes into this passage of scripture. Verse seven, it was Moses practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. 
Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Verse 11, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So once again, a lot to unpack there. So let's start with going back to what we talked about just previously. They were a stubborn people, but they still had some God in them. But because of their stubbornness, they could not get into the presence of God like Moses. Moses was yielded to God. The children of Israel were not. So that separated them. But there's something about the children of Israel that we can see is they would watch Moses and they would watch God interact with Moses and they would stand at their tent and they would bow, but they couldn't approach. They couldn't go any deeper. But what we're seeing is that they hungered for the intimacy. They just didn't know how to get there. They didn't know how to connect with God because of their stubbornness, because of their tendency to complain. But the truth of the matter is they had come out of Egypt. When you come out of Egypt, you have a lot of Egypt left in you. When you come out of bondage, there's a lot of bondage left in you. So even though you want to move forward in the things of God, many times you can't because oftentimes you're stuck because of that old way and old lifestyle. And what this does, what this uh, teaching does, it shows us that we're not much different than they are because even though we have Christ and we have access to God, many times it is our own issues previously, our past or our struggles or even our sin. Uh, Pastor Josh talked about our own sin sometimes interrupts our intimacy. And what it does, it makes us be on the outside looking in. And one of the jobs that I have as a leader is to not make you think that what I'm experiencing, you can't experience. At, in their case, they could not experience. They could not go as far as Moses would go. They could They could only be at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And especially when the, the power of God came down, they would stand at the entrance of their tent and just look. So they, they looked and longed for it, but they could not go. But because of Christ, Christ has shifted things to where we all have access to him. And even though the pastor is leading and guiding, I don't have any more access to God than you do. But we are many times tempted to sit back and look and say, oh, man, I can't be that anointed. I can't do what they do. That's not what it should be. It should be something causing you to hunger and say, My, wow, I want what he has. I want that. But in this case, they may have wanted it, but they couldn't because of their stubbornness. So let's go back just for a second. Let's go to verse eight. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tent. It says all the people. 
They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. Now, some of it was curiosity, sure. But the fact that they would always do this meant that there was something Moses carried that they wanted, but they didn't know how to get to it. So looking again at nine, as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. So they could see Moses disappear, but they couldn't see what was going on because that cloud would come down. And once again, it looks like they are being punished, but really they're being protected because Moses was in the attitude where he could talk to God. They were not in that in that place but they built and developed a curiosity. And here's something that I, w- I want to bring to us. When it relates to the world around us, people should look at your life and be so curious that it makes them want to want what you have and say, my, my goodness, I can see that God is working with them. I can see there's certain moments where they disappear. In other words, I no longer see them, but I can see the tangible presence of God on their lives. And it makes me want to always get at the entrance of my tent and say, man, I wonder what's going on with those people at Deliverance Temple. I wonder what's going on with Pastor Andre. I wonder what makes him tick the way he tick. I wonder how he can overcome the loss of his father in the way he's overcoming it. I had someone talk to me and said, "You're, you're such a rock. How are you so strong? You just seem to keep moving. I'm just like, it's, it's God. I can't take credit for any of this. It's, it's God, but we want to be so close with God that other people look at us and they hunger for intimacy, not with us, they hunger for intimacy with God. And so that is really what we're, we're trying to push. And I, and I believe Josh was teaching us this Exodus 33, 12 through 34, 11. So let's, let's get in this lengthy passage. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. Verse 13, if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, And I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. I want to stop and point out something. Now, remember, Moses was the only one who was close to God. Everybody else had to look from a distance. But Moses' speech was not personal. He had concerns about the people. He said, God, if you don't go up with us. Now, he's the only one really interacting with God. But what happens when you really get a glimpse of God, you don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to get close to God so everybody else can be close. So Moses is having speech to say, God, I I want you to do something where we all can be blessed. And that's the heart of those who are really walking with God, they're not selfish. They're caring for the group. Even if they've pressed through in ways that the group hasn't, they care for the group. And that's what disciple makers do. Disciple makers are not just so concerned about how, wow, I got my breakthrough. I got my praise on. I got my blessings. Whenever God really begins to bless and touch someone, 
who has the right heart, they always want to reach back and and they don't really want to leave anybody behind. That's a, that's a, a better way to say it. So let's continue to read. Let's look at verse 16. How long will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. I, I, I like that. I, I'm, I'm going to pause and look at that side by side. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people? So Moses is saying, it's not just about me, because if you just look favorably on me and you don't touch your people, then we've all lost because I'm not the most important thing. That's This is how you see a true leader. A true leader always cares about everyone else. A true mother, and I, I say this all the time, I I can't stand to see a mother who's dressed great and the kids look raggedy. They don't have the right spirit. A true mother would rather they look raggedy and the kids look great because true leadership cares about everyone else. And so he's like, how will anybody else know? In other words, how would all the other nations know that that you're working with us if you don't go with us, if you don't go with all of us, not just me, but if you don't go with all of us, how will we know that you set us apart? How will they know you've set us apart if you don't bless us all? All right, let's look at verse 17. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Another thing that's quite important. Moses is talking about us. God turns it and says he starts talking about him. He says, I know you by name. He made it personal and individual, even though Moses is talking about the collective. And here's the truth that we need to understand. God cares about the collective, but if he's going to touch the collective through you, he first has to deal with you. And so many times when we're trying to make decisions that's going to cause everybody to be blessed, God begins to hone and work on us individual. And sometimes this hurts because in order for him to touch everybody through you, he's got to work on you. And Moses, at some point, he caught the revelation of what God was saying. He said, okay, I'm going to show you my glory, but I got to deal with you so that I can use you to touch everybody else. So if you have a heart that cares about everybody else, don't be shocked when God begins to needle in on you and begin to work you over. And sometimes it seems like, well, shoot, you... You're tougher on me than you are on everybody else. It's because he's raising you up to be a leader because he wants to work through you to help everybody else. But in order to do that, I got to deal with you individually. All right, let's keep let's keep going. Verse 19, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So he's letting Moses know that it's really about my mercy and compassion for everyone. But first thing I, I got to get you to see, I got to get you to know my name. I got to get you to understand that when I deal with you, 
I do it not because of how good you are. I do it because of how merciful and compassionate I am. But I got to show you my name. You can never help the masses until you know him by name. Till you know God knows you and you know him. You know him by his name. And his name there was Yahweh. Anytime we see the Lord in scripture, especially when it's capitalized, it is Yahweh. And the uh the, the Hebrew dialect, they, they wouldn't even pronounce his name because it was so holy. There were certain letters they wouldn't even pronounce. It, it was in Hebrew, it would be called yud Hey vav Hey. Our transliteration of that is Yahweh. But before that, how they transliterated uh, was Jehovah. That actually comes out of the same name. That, that, that's just some, some deep extra stuff I'm throwing in there. But he was telling Moses, I want you to know me by name, because what it does when you know me by name and you realize I know you by name, it's a personal relationship that is so powerful. It affects everybody connected to you. So, yes, I'm going to touch people through you, but I got to get to you and you got to know me by name. First of all, you understand I know your name, but I got to show you my name. I got to show you who I am. So he said, listen, I'm going to show you who I really am. But as as we go on to see, God had to he had to temper it a little bit because at the end of the day, Moses was human and he was God. So let's let's go even further. But you may not look directly at my face. For no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. I want to pause again because just previously it says that Moses spoke to him face to face. Now, later on, we hear God saying that uh, you can't see my face. All right. So let me explain this. So remember, the other Israelites, they were standing at the tent. And they were watching Moses and they would see Moses would disappear. The cloud would come down. He would disappear. And they would say Moses was talking face to face. But here's the thing. That was from their perspective because they saw the, the, the pillar of cloud come down and they seen Moses disappear. But they couldn't see what was happening in the tent. So from their vantage point, Moses was talking to God face to face. But that wasn't really true. What Moses was experiencing, he was experiencing the effects of God's presence. Another way to say it, uh, it's very similar to the blessing. But let, let me say it to you like the wind. When you see the leaves rustling down the street, you will say that's the wind. But that's really not the wind. That's the effects of the wind. Really, you can't see the wind. When, when, the, when the tree sways, you say, man, it's windy. But that's the result of what the wind does. But you can't actually see the wind. You can only see the results of it. So what they were watching, they were watching the results of the presence. They were watching the results of the blessing. In other words, when you get money, that is not the blessing. That is the result of the blessing. The blessing is not visible. It is actually invisible. It is something that cannot be seen, but the results of it can be seen. So from their vantage point is Moses is speaking to God face to face. But when God talks, God says, you haven't seen my face. You can't 
see my face and live. Now, of course, this is before the cross. But the point that I think needs to be made for us to catch the impact is this, is that when we look at God in his holiness and his power and the greatness of who he is on somebody else's life, we say, man, they are powerful. Man, they're awesome. You, you looking at me as your pastor, you might say, man, I mean, I think the world of him. He, he, he's awesome. He's great. He's this, that, and the other. Because you see the effects of God working in my life. But me personally, I know that there's another level that I can go to because you're only seeing the results and the effects of what God is doing in my life. But for me, I know if we're going to go to the next level, I'm telling God, God, we can't move if you don't move. So uh, another example of that is Sunday mornings, you see me in my element. Wednesday nights, you see me in my element. But what you don't see is Saturday night and Tuesday night. You don't see how lost I am before I'm getting up to share and preach and talk. I'm, I'm saying, God, if you don't do something, because I really don't have the ability to lead these people. I don't have the ability to say anything. I'm looking at the scripture. I read the scripture. I study. I do what I can do. But sometimes I'm just a lost ball in high weeds. I mean, like, I can't make heads and tails out of the stuff until God illuminates me, until he touches me. So what's happening is Moses is saying individually, I need more of you. I need to go to that next level. Yeah, the people may see me and feel like I have reached and arrived, but me face to face, God, I need more of you. And God was saying, listen, I'm going to give you as much as you can handle. You cannot because this is before Christ. You cannot see me face to face, but I'm going to get you as close as possible because Moses was saying, in order for me to be the best that I need to be, I don't care what the people think about me. I need more of you. And that's why Josh was teaching us to hunger for intimacy, to be as bold as Moses and say, I, I don't care how blessed I am and how blessed it looks like I, I am. And uh, here's another example. People always tell me, you're the best dressed pastor in Muncie or you, man, you really know how to put an outfit together. And what I tell them is you don't see the bloopers. You, you, you don't see that. I, it takes me 17 pictures to get a decent one to post. Y'all see the highlights. Social media is about the highlights. But what I know is it takes a lot of work to even get stuff right. So I don't get the big head over it because sometimes I accidentally luck into something positive. Yeah, it may look good by the time I put it together, but it takes a lot of luck to make it work. Some of the stuff that, that I pull out, they're 10, 15 years old. And I pull them out the closet. I'm like, man, I wonder what to do with this. And there's like the Holy Spirit shows me things and I put it together and it comes out. So I don't get as excited as the other people that get because I know, man, I barely pulled this off. It was God that did it. It was God's hand. It was God's power. It was God's presence. And so it makes me hunger more because the moment his presence is away from me, I'm afraid of what I would be. I'm afraid of the person I would turn it into. I'm afraid of what would happen. And so as individuals, we should be so hungry for God because we know 
without him leading us, without him guiding us, without him being the wind in our sail, the wind beneath our sheets, without him being the motor that drives us, the engine behind us, we all are just nothing. We're, we're just a bunch of dirt balls because we come from dirt. But with Christ and with God and with his presence, we're somebody special. So we always want to press into his presence because the people that we're leading and guiding, they need to get to the place where we are, where they lean and depend on God. We want to bring them to the place to where they understand, oh, it's not Deliverance Temple. It's not Andre. It's not Alana. It's, it's, it's not uh, them. It is God. In other words, we want them to see behind the scenes who is really working. But in order for them to see that, we got to know it ourselves. And so Moses was in a situation where God has said, listen, I'm getting ready to show you me. You, you, you can't see me face to face, but I'm going to show you as much as possible. What the people see, they think you're already at your highest level. But Moses, I'm getting ready to take you even further. And Moses was all for it. Moses was bold and said, God, that's what I want because I'll never be what I need to be if I don't go deeper and further with you. And I think the, the revelation in all this is we can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool you. We all individually know when we've gone as far as we can go, and if God doesn't take us to that next step, we're done. Those of you who are leaders on your job, you know that if God doesn't take that next step, people are going to know that you're, you, you're not that good. You know, like that there are times and I'm a team leader on my job now and people ask me questions that I have no idea the answer to. I can go find the answer, but they need to answer right away. And sometimes in that moment, God will give me something and and tell me, like, do this. And I go and do this and I find the answer like really quick. I, I remember telling somebody, I, I, I'll, I'll get back with you and I go to go do something. I don't know what the answer is. I'm trying to go and figure it out, find it out. I run into the answer accidentally, go back to the person who's like, oh, this is what we need to do. Oh, okay. Thanks. I didn't know. I don't know how that happened, but God. So when you are a leader, you understand that if God doesn't do it, it won't be done. And that's kind of where Moses was. And so that's where Josh was trying to teach us as individuals, we need to keep hungering for God and be bold. And he even taught us that even though you have sin in your life and you're not perfect, you still need to be bold and go after God and see if he can take you to higher heights and deeper levels. Not for you, but for the sake of the people that are uh, wanting to see God through you. All right, let's let's go on further. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So the truth of the matter is, in that moment, all, the, all Moses saw was the backside of God. One, one version says the hinder parts of him. So he, so he actually, God actually made himself visible. So uh, Josh was talking to us about the fact that what was so weird about the children of Israel is all the other gods and, and the other nations, they were all visible gods. They made idols to their God. He was the only God that there was no idol created. 
And so that's why when they got confused and, and, and got in their flesh, so to speak, not long after crossing out of Egypt, they made a golden calf. And we look at them and like, man, that's crazy that you guys made a golden calf. But every other nation had an idol that they could look to. They didn't have an idol because their God was invisible. And so same with us. We, we have to worship God by faith that we can't see. But every now and then he makes himself visible. And in the Old Testament, that's called either a theophany or Christophany. And uh, Pastor Josh talked about it briefly. But theos means God. Christos means Christ. So what it means is that that there are certain times in the Old Testament, especially before Christ came as a real baby human, that he shows up in visible form. The few times we see it throughout the Old Testament. So this is one of those times where, where God made himself visible. So what we would call a theophany or theos meaning God, he made himself visible, but he, but Moses could only see the backside of him. It says he put his hand over his face and uh, Pastor Joshua was talking about that's imagery. It's not talking about his visible hand, but he was saying that there was, a, there was something that came over Moses that where he couldn't see and then once it was removed, he just seen the passing of God. And that that just totally adjusted and changed Mo Moses' whole perspective. Let's look even further. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. Uh, I just have to, to briefly touch on this. Uh, when they built the golden calf, it's because Moses went on the mountain and God was showing him thing. And that's where, where Moses got the Ten Commandments up on the mountain. He comes down off of the mountain. He hears all this noise and finds out that they have a golden calf. And Moses got angry and he smashes those tablets. And so God's telling him to basically rewrite what what was what was seen and well. Well, not him rewrite it because God had actually wrote in the stone. You'd have to go and study it yourself. But so God was allowing them to to restart. So what's what's so powerful about this is that they had got into so much mess and junk, building the golden calf and all that. And every, everything God was doing was trying to figure out a way to get back in relationship with them, even though they were the ones that messed up. And so. Moses was hungering for the intimacy of God with God, but God was trying to use Moses to get to them who were lost. Always remember this about yourself. It's not about you. It's about other people that God can reach through you. So many times God goes through all out of all his way to be merciful to you, not just for you, but for others. So whenever we messed up, the devil tries to make us feel like, man, I don't know how God will forgive me. And I don't know why God will forgive me. It's a waste of time to think about that because really it's not about you. He's forgiving you so he can get to you to get through you to others. But if you wallow in your sin, you quit and you give up, then God can't show you his presence. He can't show you that he knows you by name. He can't show you his name. And then he can't use you to touch others. So so get over yourself so that you can get close to God for the sake of everybody else. And that's what God was doing with Moses. All right. Uh, no one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two uh, tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. 
Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Lavish, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground in worship. And he said, O Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. The Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. So much there. I just wish I had so much time to unpack it all. But let's just start a little by little. So he's telling Moses, all right, go back up. Now, Moses has already seen the backside of him because that was that was individual and personal for Moses. But God was doing that so that he could touch the people. But the people were still full of sin, so they couldn't come close to him. Moses is the only one who could even get that close. But we see the whole purpose of what God was doing. So Moses, God tells Moses, go back up in the mountain, get, get those taps of stone again. I'm going to redo what I've done. But don't even let the the animals get close to the mountain because what will happen, they're going to die because I'm too powerful. But what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to embody the power because what I really want to do is I really want to show compassion and mercy to my people. I want to do miracles amongst my people that the nations have never seen because what God was trying to do, I want to influence the nations by touching you. I know you're sinful. I know you're rebellious. So I can't let you get too close, but I'm going to try to use someone to get to you. I'm trying to go, trying to get to you through someone else. And all this is, is foreshadowing and showing us the plan. Now, Satan wasn't smart enough to get it, but God was showing us the plan of Christ because the whole reason why Christ came so God could get through Christ to us, get through unsinful Christ to get to sinful man. And so he was doing it, but he was always foreshadowing what he was going to do. And he was trying to do it through human man. So he does it through Moses. And when Moses bows down to worship and the power of God is there and God calls his name out, says, I am Yahweh. The next thing he says is I'm full of mercy. I'm full of grace. Let's go back so that we can we can get it uh, really close. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So here's here's another point. When the children of Israel saw the lightning, the thunder, the smoke and all that power, the only thing they thought of is, oh my God, God is going to be so angry with us because of what we've done. Now, yes, he was angry, 
but his anger doesn't last forever. His mercy lasts forever. And his anger, he's actually slow to anger. So God wanted to show them another side. But here's something else we need to understand. In every other nation, when they worshiped their gods or whatever, they always had a fear of their God because their gods always were wrathful gods. God showed his wrath, but he also wanted to show his mercy and his love, but he couldn't get them close enough to them for him to show that. So he had to start with Moses. And when Moses seen him and then Moses worshiped, then he begins to tell them who he really was. Then it says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Then he adds this, but I do not excuse the guilty. So those who want to stay guilty, those who want to stay worshiping the golden calves, okay, they're going to get what they get. But the focus is I really want to show my love, my mercy, my compassion. I want to show this side of me, but I've, I've never had a people who could get close enough to me so that I could show them this side of me. Now, let's read this because it pops up a couple times in scriptures. I lay sins of the parents upon the children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. I want to mention this, and, and, and uh, Pastor Johnson mentioned it too. Also, generational sin and generational punishment is a real thing. But the problem is in church, we haven't taught it properly. We've only talked about, well, God will visit the, the iniquities for the third and fourth generation. Because that's what the Bible says. Yes. But in the same scripture, it says that he shows the love for a thousand generations. So, so we, we, we don't see the balance of God right. The balance is that he is unbalanced toward love. He is biased towards love, mercy, grace. Yes, he does have to punish. Yes, he does have to correct. But that's only to the third and fourth generations. It's thousands of generations. When you look at the difference between four and a thousand, let, let, let me put it to you this way. If tomorrow I hand you four dollars, you will be grateful. Oh, thank, thank God for four dollars. If I hand you a thousand dollars, you would be ecstatic. A thousand is much greater than four. But we've only taught the 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 part of God's wrath and how God's going to get you and how God's going to send you to hell. And God says, I, there's another side to me, but I need somebody that gets close to me to hunger for intimacy with me so I can show them and I can show others through them. The reason why I preach grace and mercy is because God has been so gracious and merciful to me. God has every right in many ways to punish me, to strike me down, to say, no, you can't pastor. No, you can't preach. You need to just go sit in the pews and listen to somebody else. He's had every right to do that, but he showed me mercy, compassion, and grace. And when I've drawn near to him and seen his goodness, I want to share that with someone else. And that's all God was trying to do in this situation as well. All right, we, we've got to, to move further. Let's look at these few verses. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he was aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near to him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Verse 32, then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions of the Lord he had, that the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. 
when Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak to the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever the instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he had put the veil over his face until he returned to speak to the Lord. So what's going on here is after God tells him that basically I really want to show favor and love and mercy and grace to the people for a thousand generations. Yeah, I do have to punish and yeah, I do have to correct. But really what I do, I want to show love. It made Moses face shine. So when Moses came to the people, the first thing they did is they feared. They misjudged. They thought the glow on Moses' face was a glow that was going to cause them to be punished. And so they drew back away from him. And he's trying to figure out how can I tell them that really God wants to be in relationship with all of us. So he, he, he first he calls over the leaders. He, come talk to me because everybody was staying away from him. He had to call his own brother Aaron. Come, come talk to me. Then he put a veil over his face. And they were able to, to talk to him. He was trying to share with them how good God, God was. Then when he would go back to the tent to talk to God, he would remove the veil because he got a chance to be close to God. But whenever he came out, they, all, they thought it was about the, the anger and the fear. So he would have to veil them again. Now, Pastor Josh leads us all the way up into this point, And he's talked all the way through Exodus. And then he jumps all the way to Corinthians. And he shows us something on the New Testament. So we, we, as we close, we, we need to look at these verses. And then I'll try to make the connection for us that he made. So 2 Corinthians. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Paul is writing this. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? So the point is, if the old way showed glory before the cross, before Christ, the new way, we are to be illuminated as well. But as the old way made them think about death, we have to remember the new way is supposed to make people think about life. Verse 9, if the old way which brings condemnation were glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Paul is showing them that the new covenant is much better. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. So Paul was talking to Jews thousands years later, and he was trying to explain to them the whole point of what God was doing with Moses. And he was saying, look, a new day is here. A new day is better. But he's saying the reason why 
uh, let, let me explain this a little better. He was talking about Jews to the Gentiles. And he was saying the Jews, the reason why they don't believe in Christ is because they're still stuck in the old way. And they still, when they read the law, they read it with their minds veiled because in their mind, they still think God is the God of fear and anger and wrath and punishment. And yes, he had to do some of those things because they just kept doing the wrong thing. But Paul was saying, we, we're different. We're much better because we're close to God. We know him by name. We, we understand that his glory is, is around us and is in us. And so he was trying to explain to the church of Corinth why, because the, the Jews kept trying to mess up Paul's work and saying that Paul was basically letting down the standard. And now thousands of years later, here in the 2000s, People still say the same thing. You got to wear the right thing. You can't do this. You, you better not have a tattoo. You bet people are still caught up in all that because they don't know the glory was to bring us closer to God. All right. So uh, 15. Yes, even today when they read Moses writing, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. King James says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Verse 18, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So as we close, here is the summary of it all. Looking at the Old Testament, here's what it teaches us. In the New Testament, because of Christ, we can boldly come before the Lord and we can see him in all his glory. And what his glory does, little by little, it changes us into his glory. The old people, they thought, oh, my goodness, God is just going to punish us. He's just going to kill us. He's just going to uh, do this, that and the other with us. And yes, God, like I said, God does have to punish and correct, but even with us in the new because of Christ's blood, when he punishes, when he corrects, it's only to change us more and more to be like him. So that what makes us hunger for his intimacy. Even when you've done wrong and you've messed up, you should still want to come closer and closer to God because he's going to change you to be like him. So you don't want to be like the stairs that Pastor Josh is talking about that have no root, they have no depth, because how can you lead people to Christ with those unstable, shaky sh stairs? We want stairs that have depth, a depth that goes deep, that hungers to be intimate with God. And yes, the closer we get to God, the more we're going to see how messed up we are. But it is okay because he's going to show us little by little that he's changing us to be like him. Let's put that verse back up and close that way. So all of us who have had the veil removed because we believed in Christ can see and reflect the glory of the Lord who we're reflecting to we're reflecting it to other people. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So we're all, we're all going to be like Christ in the end. We're all going to be glorious like God in the end. So little by little by little, if we stay in this thing, we will be just like our father, God. And that's the greatest thing ever. That's 
how the reason why we can enter into heaven because we'll be changed over and over and over. And then at the final thing, the scripture says we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So where we are not finished changing and where we still have some issues some hangups, when God comes back, he changes in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. So there's no way we can lose. So we should always hunger to be intimate with God because that is the most amazing thing ever. So having said that, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we, we do give you praise and we, we honor you for all that you are and all that you mean. God, thank you for this word that, that Pastor taught us. That it, it, There was a lot to it, a lot in it, but it takes the Old Testament and brings us to the importance of the New Testament. And all it shows us is that what we've been teaching is real and true and is right. We can be close to you. We can have relationship with you. And through that relationship, you can use us to touch others. You can help us communicate Christ's love compassionately to a dying world. And for that, we'll thank you and we forever give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you dearly and we thank you and we honor you. <laughs>